0: Uh, Fifteen years ago, roughly, a friend of mine uh, signed up for this doctoral intensive class out of Fuller Theological Seminary in California. Uh, and it was a week-long class on the, in this mountain lodge. No cell phone coverage. No one was allowed to bring anything to this class outside of like clothing and toiletries or whatever. They weren't allowed to bring anything other than a Bible and something to take notes with. That's it. And my friend who took this class literally every night drove down the mountain to make a phone call to his wife to say goodnight and then drove, you know, back up. Um, and they had one homework assignment for this, this intensive class. And it was to memorize a bunch of sections of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, Romans chapter 8, 1 Corinthians 13, Philippians 2 through 4, and a couple others. That was it. There was no other books to read, there weren't any other papers to write, it was here are some passages of scripture, memorize it, bring a Bible notes, come to class for a week, the world will see you and we're done. That was, the, that was the setup. And you can imagine that during their first time together as a cohort up on this mountain, first time everybody had met each other and that kind of stuff, and they're sitting there with this professor, that someone asked the professor why it was so important for them to memorize these particular passages Of Scripture. And he said, I want you to know what truth sounds like. I want you to know what truth sounds like. My question tonight for you is, do you know what truth sounds like? In the mouths of your parents, or the mouths of professors, or social media influencers, or your friends, From pastors and and people like me who stand on stages like this. Do you know what truth sounds like? Can you tell a truth from a lie? What about in your head? The inner thoughts and the scripts that kind of run under the, the hum of all the noise of our daily lives. Do you know what truth sounds like there? Jesus doesn't just speak true things. He claims to be the truth. He is the one who organizes and structures all things and sustains all things by the word of His power. He doesn't just speak true things. He is the reason there is such a thing as truth at all. He is true. Do you know what He sounds like? The whole of the Bible bears witness to the truth that we find in the face of Jesus Christ. But over the course of the past 2,000 years, the church has been nourished by some very key passages of Scripture which seem to be the kind of, this kind of concentrated dose of truth. Like Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to ask you to do something this whole semester with us. I mean, we're, we're gathering to worship every Tuesday night. I hope that you continue to do that with us. I want to ask you to memorize Psalm 23. We're not actually preaching on Psalm 23 this semester, but, but I want to encourage you to fix it before your heart in your mind, that you would know what's true. The Lord is your shepherd. That even in the valley of the shadow of death, God is with you, and that is something which will be before each and every one of us, as sure it is that we're alive. That He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies, that you dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You you may not need the psalm right this minute, but countless people, each of course counted by God, have been nourished by the truth in this psalm for generation after generation. This psalm, 23, is what truth sounds like. Get it into your bones. Memorize it. Lay it on your mind and on your heart so that it just comes up. So it's readily available in the midst of moments for you to reflect on as you're thinking, I am in the valley of the shadow of death. I must be so far from God right now and let that psalm do battle as a truth claim with the other things you might be thinking and feeling all of the bible bears witness to truth specifically the truth we find in the face of jesus the whole of scriptures help us to know what truth sounds like but there are these kind of refrains these key passages these um, kind of gold mine texts like psalm 23 which are so helpful for us in in, in knowing what truth sounds like. And that is what I want for you this semester, is to know what truth sounds like. In John chapter 10, Jesus said that His sheep know His voice. And they don't follow the voices of strangers. His sheep don't do that. So do you know the voice of Jesus so that you can follow Him and not follow other voices which lead to ruin? I've had well-meaning friends in my life who have tried to comfort me with lies. You know what, Jason? You deserve a night off. Just a night where you don't have to care about anything. That doesn't sound like truth. Even though it's said from someone who likes and loves me and I think is meaning well, it is actually the voice of Satan on their lips. And it would lead my life to ruin. When I'm in conflict with my wife or with my friends, when, when, I, when I don't feel like I've been a very good father to my kids, my inner critic is just so full of shame and, con- and, and condemnation. And that's not what truth sounds like. Lies can come at us from within and from without. You know what truth sounds like? Truth sounds like Romans 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And nothing, nothing can separate us from His love. That's truth. Of course, it's not enough to simply just sort of throw offhanded Bible verses around, like that solves all of our discernment problems. The Scriptures, like anything, can be warped and applied to malevolent ends. Satan, after all, tempts Jesus using Scripture. But notice that Jesus combats the lies of Satan with Scripture as well. Maybe especially in the face of religious lies, we need to know what truth sounds like. This semester, we're going to be looking at some key passages of Scripture to hold before our heart and our minds in order that you and I might know what truth sounds like. Tonight, specifically, we're going to be looking at the opening pages of the Bible. How do Genesis... One and two tell a different story than the ones we typically believe. I remember, for, an ex- for example, when I was a sophomore at the University of Washington, whew, tough day, um, taking a class uh, called the Hebrew Bible. It was literally called the Hebrew Bible. Um, we were examining uh, the creation accounts in the Bible and other ancient Near Eastern creation accounts. We were just sort of comparing all these things. My undergraduate major was comparative world religions. And one of the things that stood out to me um, in this comparison of ancient Near Eastern creation myths is how in virtually every single creation myth except for the Bible, work, work, like jobs and stuff, was this sort of drudgery that humans had to do because the gods didn't want to do it themselves. The gods wanted to like drink wine Eat grapes, get fanned off, you know. That's what the gods wanted to do. They didn't want to till the soil and tend to grape vines. So they made humans do their dirty work so they could enjoy the fruit of humanity's labor. This kind of claim about work seems so consistent across these ancient Near Eastern creation stories. But then when you read the biblical account of work, specifically in Genesis chapter 2, it's so strikingly different than all of these other creation myths. Here in the Bible, when humans are called to, uh, to work, they're called to cultivate and create in God's creation. And, and it's, the, it's the very kind of work that God has been doing. So, so here, work in the Bible is almost like this shared kind of divine activity that God lets us in on. I've started noticing this when I, when, I had, when I started having kids. I started noticing just how important it was to let them participate. That there's all kinds of things that I don't want them to participate in because I don't think they're going to do a good enough job, because it's going to take time, it's going to be less efficient, because maybe I just want to be alone. Maybe I want it done the way I want it done. There's a certain kind of dignity that my children have felt When they have gotten to participate, most recently my my oldest is starting to drive now and to see this sort of like uh, terror and pride, both I think, as he's driving and realizing he's doing these things he's watched his mom and dad do, you know. That there's some kind of dignity wrapped up in his being able to do the things that we're doing. In the Genesis account, God creates and then invites humans to create. He cultivates, he invites humans to cultivate. He names things and then invites humans to name things. It's a dignifying thing, work. Rather than being drudgery, in the Bible, it's dignifying. That's what truth sounds like, apparently. Work is a dignifying thing for humans, not just some punishment that we have to deal with before we retire. And if that's what truth sounds like, then perhaps it's important that each one of us has some role to play in our families and in our communities. That we have some work to do to cultivate and create, that even my children, maybe their dignity is wrapped up, right? And they're having some kind of participation, In in our life together at home, and not just sitting back and lounging on couches like ancient Near Eastern gods and goddesses, while my wife and I feed them grapes and fan them off and tell them we can't wait until we send them off. I know that that would sound really lovely to one of my children in particular right now, but but I, I swear to you that the longer that went on, the less dignity this child of mine would feel. And even though it might bring them temporary comfort or enjoyment to sit around and do nothing while we just served them, in the long run, it would bring them to ruin. What does truth sound like? I remember sitting there my sophomore year, I, don't, I didn't have this particular language for it, but I went, oh my Lord, the Bible, when I wasn't a Christian at this point, the Bible was, is telling a different story about the role of humanity on earth and and particularly our relationship with labor and work. And these things are not compatible. It was super cool to be like, all religions are basically saying the same thing. That was like everybody said that when I was an undergrad. Uh, And and you just look at these things side by side, like these are not saying the same things at all. They're making radically different claims about what is true. What does truth sound like? Coming into this room, every single one of us has some operating idea of how God thinks of us. Maybe it's unarticulated. Maybe you haven't put words to it or haven't named it before. But I want you right now to try to imagine how does God think about you? How does God see you? I want to read to you the first chapter of the Bible, and as I read it, I want you to listen for the way it pictures God's perspective on His creation. What does God think about all the things He is making? And, and if it helps as I read this, to close your eyes or look at the ceiling or the floor or something, do that. We're not—I don't want the words on the screen for this, um, because I, I just want the, the story. To kind of wash over you and and, and I want it to shape your imagination. This isn't right now about analyzing a text. It's about hearing what is true. So in other words, maybe this is another way to frame it. When I read this chapter, I'm not trying to teach you something. I'm trying to proclaim something to you. And I want you to pay attention to the kinds of things this text is asking you to believe. Not just the things to understand. But what kinds of things is this text asking you to believe? What is Genesis telling us about God's perspective on His creation? When God began to create heaven and earth, and the earth then was welter and waste and darkness over the deep, and God's breath hovered over the waters, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day. And the darkness he called night, and it was evening, and it was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault in the midst of the waters, and let it divide water from water. And God made the vault, and it divided the water beneath the vault from the water above the vault. And so it was. And God called the vault heavens, and it was evening and it was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered in one place so that the dry land will appear, and so it was. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of waters he called seas, Oh, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth grow grass, plants yielding seed of each kind, and trees bearing fruit of each kind, and that has its seed within it upon the earth. And so it was. And the earth put forth grass, plants yielding seed, and trees bearing fruit of each kind, and God saw that it was good. And it was evening and it was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and they shall be signs for the fixed times and for days and years, and they shall be lights in the vault of the heavens to light up the earth. And so it was. And God made the two great lights, the great light for dominion of the day and the small light for dominion of night and the stars. And God placed them in the vault of the heavens to light up the earth and to have dominion over day and night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And it was evening and it was morning, fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with a swarm of living creatures and let fowl fly over the earth across the vault of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that crawls, which the water had swarmed forth of each kind and the winged fowl of each kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the water and the seas and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And it was evening and it was morning, fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of each kind, cattle, and crawling things, and wild beasts of each kind, and so it was. And God made wild beasts of each kind, and cattle of every kind, and all crawling things on the ground of each kind. And God saw that it was good, and God said, Let us make a human in our image, by our likeness, to hold sway over the fish of the sea, and the fowl of the heavens, and the cattle and the wild beasts, and all the crawling things that crawl upon the earth. And God created the human in His image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and conquer it and hold sway over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the heavens and every beast that crawls upon the earth. And God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the face of all the earth and every tree that has fruit-bearing seed, yours they will be for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and to all the fowl of the heavens and to all that crawls on the earth which has the breath of life within it, the green plants for food. And so it was. And God saw all that he had done, and look, it was very good. And it was evening, and it was morning the sixth day. Then the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their array. And God completed on the seventh day the task he had done, and he ceased on the seventh day from all the task he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, for on it he had ceased from all his task that he had created to do. This is the tale of the heavens and the earth when they were created. What is Genesis telling us about God's perspective on his creation? Casey, if you've had a chance to put up that slide, would you? In verse 4, And God saw that the light was good, 10, and God saw that it was good. 12, and God saw that it was good. 18, and God saw that it was good. 21, and God saw that it was good. 25, and God saw that it was good. 31, and God saw that it was very good. What does God think about all that He has made? The Genesis account would tell us that God thinks that what he makes is very good. And friends, that has not stopped. God loves all that he has made. Growing up, I believed, I I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I believed something like that about the rain and climbing trees and bicycles and bottles of Coca-Cola, glass bottles of Coca-Cola, and the sea. Goodness to see. Maybe I, maybe I even believed that about me, but I don't recall reflecting on my goodness until I began to question it. None of us believe God makes mistakes by looking at the stars. We don't look at sunsets or birds or flowers and think for a moment that God you know, makes things he doesn't like. We seem to only begin to believe that when in the midst of guilt or shame or suffering, we start looking in the mirror. When we forget what truth sounds like and we start listening to voices other than God, isn't that wild? That we can look at a flower or a puppy and stand solid on this claim that everything God makes is good. But when we look at His prized creation, Humanity, we sometimes have our doubts. What does truth sound like? Truth sounds like God did not make a mistake with you. When you get passed up for an opportunity, when someone else is preferred to you, when the person you like doesn't seem to feel the same about you, when you look in the mirror, what story do you tell yourself? story do you believe do you know what truth sounds like god loves everything he makes and that includes you perhaps by god's grace some of us have come to believe that about ourselves it's true about everyone else too the person next to you needs to be reminded of it your mom needs to hear it your dad your brother or your sister your roommate your professor your coworker, your neighbor, your friends, your enemies, your ex. Somebody else can tell your ex. You don't have to tell your ex. Somebody else can tell your ex. The truth isn't just that God loves you and made you on purpose. He holds everyone else in his heart as well. So for some of us, the challenge may not just be in the mirror. It may be that there are certain people by name or certain groups of people, by some kind of affiliation or affinity or something that we have trouble recognizing the dignity of? God looks at all that He has made and says it's very good. Or do you think that somewhere along the way God ceased to delight in His creation? Just because sin and evil have warped God's good creation doesn't mean it's not still good. Truth sounds like every single person on the planet and throughout history is someone God has made and someone God loved into existence and someone God is bent on redeeming. And if we're going to talk about redeeming ever, it means that there is something good which God thinks can be redeemed. The truth sounds like no one is an accident. In the words of one of my heroes, C.S. Lewis, you have never met a mere mortal. Friends, would you begin this new year firmly rooted in the truth that God loves you and likes you and everyone else in this room and everyone else around the world and that there isn't a single person in the whole of this earth whom God doesn't love? There's no one we can look at and say, well, God's not dying for you. That's what truth sounds like. And so when we come up against questions of evil and sin, when we notice things about ourselves or others that, that we don't like, surely that would bring up, surely that brings up questions for us. It introduces tension and problems. But whatever we do with sin and evil, Whatever we do with problems and inconsistencies and imperfections and flaws and mistakes and wickedness, whatever we do with those things does not change the fact that God sees His creation and our existence as fundamentally good. Even very good. That is what truth sounds like. This sermon series called What Truth Sounds Like. I cannot make you believe the truth. I can tell you what it sounds like. Truth sounds like God looks out over his whole creation, including you, and says, That is very good. Let's pray.